0: Hey, this is Sean Leary, and welcome back to the number one rated podcast in the Quad Cities, QC Uncut. We offer uncut, unedited, uncensored conversation with local newsmakers. Always interesting people, always interesting conversation. And my guest today is certainly an interesting person and has led a very diverse and intriguing and action-packed life And uh, from the creative side of things especially and has met a lot of very interesting people as well. Her name is Connie Wilson. She is a... Writer, screenwriter. She's um, was a teacher. Um entrepreneur, has done a variety of things in her life, and um, we're going to talk today about some of her various projects, including, uh, most recently, her screenplay, The Color of Evil, uh, won Best Horror Screenplay in the Festigious competition, and it also is a finalist in the Windy City International Film Festival competition, so we're going to talk to her a little bit about that, as well as The Color of Evil, which is based on a book series which she also wrote and some of the other projects that she's got going on she's also a writer for our website quadcities.com as well as our other on digital websites on Baltimore, on Cleveland on Columbus and she covers film for us, she's covered the um, South by Southwest Film Festival, the Chicago Film Festival and various other film festivals around the country, she does movie reviews and is a woman of various trades so Connie thank you so much For joining me here on QC Uncut,
1: thank you for having me. I'm happy to speak with you today about all this stuff that's keeping me busy.
0: (laughs) Let's start with the color of evil. Now, this is um, you know new development. You took this. This is based upon your book series, which has you know you've already finished the trilogy and um, started turning them into screenplays. And you've now started winning awards for this screenplay. How does it feel to be um, getting recognized for this? And also, what What led you to turn these into screenplays? Was that always something that you were going to do from the very start, or was this something where, you know, you liked the books, you really enjoyed writing them, they were successful, and you decided, okay, I'm going to turn these into screenplays?
1: Well, as the Time Magazine uh, article recently said, uh, the one that has Trump on the cover, looking in the mirror, dressed as a king, in case you have that one at home. Uh, Horror movies, artful horror movies, like A Quiet Place, are, are really on the Um, There's one playing this weekend, starting this weekend, Heredity. Um, It occurred to me that my three-book series, The Color of Evil, which was named one of the best indie books of 2018 by Shelf Unbound Magazine, there's three books. There's The Color of Evil, book one. There is Red is for Rage, the continuation of that story. And the third and final one that I've written is called Khaki Equals Killer. So I'm looking at these books, and I'm thinking, you know, this... This is exactly what you're seeing. Not only on streaming, on Netflix, on Amazon, you're seeing it at the movies. And yes, I had written one screenplay t- in 2007, long time ago, and it actually won something from Writers Digest. Um, it was my final. I had to send it send it somewhere I didn't know anywhere else. It was my one entry, and it got I don't know. I remember what it got, but I assumed it was a fluke and didn't write another one for the past 11 years. But it just seemed to me uh, that this might be a good idea. And then I had the uh, great privilege of interviewing the two young men from Bettendorf, Iowa, known as Beck and Woods in uh-huh. in the industry. They they call them Beck and Woods, but it's Scott Beck and Brian Woods, um, natives of Bettendorf. And I was, at, I was at South by Southwest. I saw their film. I knew instantly it was an instant classic. In Mexico they call it Alien on a Farm. I, <laughs> I loved that. Four words. <laughs> sums it up. It's perfect, isn't it? And I, like everyone else, was just blown away by this movie, and I did. I pulled a trump and climbed over eight people to get to the microphone to ask where the hell are Beck and Woods? Because they could not be found uh, easily. They were found, but not easily. And it's it was their film, uh, their their idea, which they got while taking a sign language class back in Iowa, my alma mater, and um, they were not film majors, no was I. And they did not go to film school anywhere else. <laughs> nor did I. Uh, but they uh, they did a lot of writing. They they liked doing writing. And they've been working on films since junior high school together. One of them began making his own at age six. So I go home. Now keep in mind, I'm covering for a blog called themovieblog.com. It is, I think, the third biggest hits four million in a day online. And I write for them when I am at a big festival. And um, I went back to my my nearby domicile and I thought man, if these guys can do it, why, why don't I write a uh, screenplay? But I'm supposed to be reviewing. Uh, so I started writing at midnight and wrote till 7 in the morning for 3 weeks. Mm-hmm. Which apparently is a very short time span to write a screenplay. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are a pro and you are told you only have 8 weeks, you have cardiac arrest, they'd say. <laughs> <laughs> and I almost had that because I would write from midnight till 7 I would sleep till noon, and then I would go off to review other people's films. With uh, my car being towed once and booted once, so it was an interesting week. Or ten days or whatever long it was. And it wasn't just their film. It was, I don't know, you'd have to go look at my weekly Wilson blog to see, or, or the movie blog. Because I'm just taking pictures and going to anything that sounds really, really good. So, I... Through we
0: it. have a number of those on quadcities.com, too. So people can always search quadcities.com for, you know, Connie Wilson or Connie Corcoran Wilson um, and find some of your writing and find some of your stories on these film festivals.
1: Yeah, you can even... Uh, my actual website is Connie C. Wilson because no one can spell Corcoran. Mm. <laughs> so that's good. And The Color of Evil has its own website, thecolorofevil.com. And I also have a series called Hellfire and Damnation, which is uh, all based on Dante's Inferno and the punished at each level of hell and every one of those stories could be more easily could be made into a movie and I say more easily because from my brief study I know that the more characters and plots you have the harder it is to write it. you have to condense you have to boil down you have to pick your protagonist you have to have the character they speak with every every page you write is a minute on screen I mean I know I knew enough to be semi dangerous <laughs> but not enough to think that I would have any success, I just thought, you know, you know, give it a shot. What do you got to lose? So I worked on it for three weeks. I did have some wonderful help from a, a gentleman named John Cry. Now that won't mean anything to most of us. It didn't to me at the time, but he has his own production company, and he used to be a reader for a very big, um, you know, big movie organization, and he was responsible for bringing into them the passion of the Christ. Donnie Darko and Memento. So this this guy knows he knows structure. He knows a lot more than I know about how the film should go and where the beats should be, etc. I had I had studied that, but I have to admit I have not mastered it. (laughs) I hope to get better at it as time goes by. But I am generally, you know, out there reviewing. Like you said, um, I've covered the Chicago International Film Festival for 15 years. It's hard to say, and I've done. I'm going to do the. Austin Film Festival. Uh, Windy City is going to be a trick because I guess I'm a contestant now and then I'll be shooting film. Uh, That is a new festival, two years old, and it's July 12th to the 15th. They show them at the Biograph Theatre. Do we remember the Biograph Theatre and John Dillon's assassination or whatever you want to call it? Uh, So I'm interested in that. Plus they do some uh, other events at the Mercury Theatre, which is a a really cool revamped, very brick and very modern uh, place up north in Chicago. So I'll, I'll be doing those. I'll be waiting to see what happens with other entries. I've won one competition, and I'm a finalist in the Windy City. And actually, I have a 75% acceptance rate at this point for up 85 entries. So we'll see what happens with the other 83, because I only heard, heard about two. And we don't know. You know, it could go somewhere. It could go nowhere. You know, it's uh, it's something I, when I sold my two businesses, which were uh, the Sullivan Learning Center and Prometric Testing Center, I decided I would write one of everything. (laughs) I do not recommend this as a strategy (laughs) at all. But I, I, you know, I did a sci-fi script, and that was my science fiction uh, nod. Uh, I did not really think I was particularly great at it so i kind of shelved that whole whole idea science fiction and script writing but i've dusted it off in light of uh recent events so that's what's happening here
0: So what got you into writing, and what is it about writing that um, charms you, intrigues you, gets you to keep going? Because you're, like me, you're very prolific. I mean, a lot of people, um, and you and I both know this, talk about writing. Or they talk about, like, you know, oh, I've got a book, I'm writing, and blah, 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 blah. But it's rare that you find people that, A, sit down and write an actual book, just one book, let alone um, people like you or yeah like you know you've got how many books out now
1: 40 plus.
0: 40 plus books i've got i just put out my 50th book um you know it's it's pretty rare that you find people that write that, that are as prolific and that continue to do it um i know from my own standpoint it's something i've been doing professionally since i was 11 years old and i was doing before even that non-professionally and have just continued to do it what's it like for you i mean was that something you always wanted to do were you always a writer were you always passionate about it um how did you kinda of get into it and how do you continue to maintain that fire?
1: Well, like you, I started at eleven because I wrote a poem uh for an Archdiocese of Dubuque competition, which at the time I I won fifty dollars. Now I looked it up, that would be five hundred dollars today. So it was a big deal to be eleven and get, you know, anything. I, I would have been happy with fifty cents. Mm-hmm. Um And that uh, should have been the end of it. I would have expected it to be the end of it. But the local newspaper publisher, who knew my father, the local banker, said to John, my dad, Hey, I see Connie won a, a, a writing competition. Would she be interested in going out and interviewing some people I'm sure he thought it would be really cute to send a 6th grader out to talk to the guy with the farm in the middle of Iowa and the the person who had just built a telescope. And, you know, I didn't know enough to say no. I just said, sure, you know. I knew nothing about interviewing anyone. Uh, Apparently I still still know nothing about interviewing anyone. (laughs) But I just keep doing it anyway. And so they started running them in the paper and paying me, uh, you know, some small amount, I'm sure. So that was uh, the beginning of it and then you go into high school. In those days we had newspapers. I was the, the editor of the of the high school uh, paper and I I worked on the yearbook but the paper was my baby and uh, the gal that I worked on the yearbook with went on to become the world's fifth best selling living author for her romances so Janet Daly. So that was interesting. But you know I just uh, it took off from there. One of my teachers wrote up a proposal for the University of Iowa. I didn't even know she had done it, she sent off all these things that had been gathering dust, you know, things I had written, and uh, they gave me a full ride in journalism. Uh, so, yeah, I went to Iowa. I did not intend to go to Iowa. I had told my parents I wanted to go to quote-unquote a large out-of-state university. But when when somebody hands you a full ride, you know, you pretty much take it. And and the folks were saying, well, you'll be going to Iowa after all. And so I did, did go to Iowa. I was a journalism major up until my junior year. And then I was convinced that I should go into the education uh, English area. But get this. This is interesting to me. While I was there, I looked into the writer's workshop. I I was not in the writer's workshop. I had not even applied for the writer's workshop. But I said, can I go in and sit down and audit a class under the number 19, which was journalism? I mean, can I sit in the back and not get a grade? Just sit and listen. No problem. Just go ahead and you can do that. So Nelson Algren, Kurt Vonnegut Jr. Um, David Morrell. I mean, there were people. Uh, David was technically not in the workshop either. He, but you could go in and you know learn at their knees, so to speak. John Irving was in my classes and some of them. So I'd say I had good teachers, and beyond that post, um, if you want to call it retirement, after I sold my two businesses in 2003, I took a University of Chicago class and it was a novel novel writing and short story writing because I hadn't done, I've been doing it but I haven't ever had any any real work on how to do it. I just started doing it like my interviewing. So I ended up with an instructor named Patrick Somerville and if you look at the end of 24, the bridge, uh, the leftovers uh, basically he He's the you know the showrunner the producer so again um, kind of got some good instructors along the way which helped and I also I should give kudos to uh, Dan Decker who's now a personal friend, the AFI film school grad that founded the Chicago Screenwriting School because he checked over that first effort and he has um, when I called him up and said I was going to write another one in three weeks, he said, have you lost your mind? And then he said, I got your back and he checked over 57 pages of a 97 page script and uh, those pages were pretty good. I'm not so sure about the last 40 but uh, what he looked at was pretty good and then John Cry he weighed in on content uh, for me and made some very helpful comments about uh, turns in the story and things you have to do, and he's been doing this for years. I think I saw somewhere that he's worth $18 million, so let's all hope that we get anywhere close to that. But he's got his own production group now, and was, it, we, had, we only had three weeks. He was starting to direct something, and I was leaving for Mexico, so we, if we had wanted to spend eight weeks, we didn't have it. Neither one of us. So we did what we could, and it, it apparently is receiving a certain measure of uh People that uh, are finding that it doesn't look like it is too bad, and uh, it's actually winning some stuff, which, which is fun.
0: Um, what has, what have been your favorite books to write, and why? And also, conversely, what have been the most difficult? And are there any books that you maybe don't care for now in retrospect, or were just, you know, maybe not the greatest experiences?
1: Well, um, I spent eight years putting together a book of the movie reviews. I wrote Wrote for the Quad City Times I worked as their film and book critic from 1970 to about 1985 and I have a book called it came from the 70s from the Godfather to Apocalypse Now which was an arbitrary distinction those happened to be two Francis Ford Coppola films so I bookended it with with his wonderful films and uh, 50 representative films not every film written in that time but representative uh, 76 photos and interactive trivia well There were a lot of permissions to be obtained, and that took forever. I trotted over to the Times and uh, spoke with Bill Wonder, my former boss, and he got me a letter and you know all that good stuff. Um, So that one was the most difficult. I'm I'm very proud of it, and I'm uh, also proud to have been able to actually hand that book to some of the most famous directors in the world. Uh, Most recently, William Friedkin, the youngest director. to win the Oscar at 32 who directed The Exorcist, The French Connection and so many wonderful films I was able to hand it to him he was in Austin, I handed it to him and and he was very gracious I gave a copy to Guillermo del Toro and he refused to move and started reading it Um, a couple other um, Damien Chazelle uh, La La Land Mm -hmm. so I take the book with me it's a thank you Uh, It isn't. I don't expect him to do anything with it these are movies from 50 years ago Um, Uh, I think Rex Reed and I may hold the record for longest continuous reviewing span. And it has worked out, uh, in a way, in Chicago. When they get a big-name star of yesteryear, they call me. They call me at 9.30 at night and they say, can you come over to the Park Hyatt and interview Vanessa Redgrave? Can can you please come interview Lee Ullman? And and I know who these people are, Uh because I've been doing this since 1970, and I was a fan before then. When I have interviewed in a group, which has happened, they had a round circle group on their 50th anniversary, because Chicago Film Festival is one of the oldest in the country, and they're hitting 54 years this October, Uh, Taylor Hackford came to town. Now, that may not mean anything to you, but if I start rattling off his films, you'll say, oh, that guy. Uh, Or you might know he's married to Helen Mirren, which is interesting. Uh, But all of the young film people from Columbia College, all they wanted to talk about was, was the movie Ray which yes he's responsible for the movie Ray that Jamie Foxx was in wonderful film uh-huh. but I sat there quietly while they just badgered him about Ray and finally the older gentleman running the show said and Connie uh, could, uh, could you uh, uh, could you ask something
0: <laughs> that isn't about Ray <laughs> <laughs> it
1: isn't about Ray so I, I immediately said yeah uh, I've heard and read that when you did an officer and a gentleman that Richard Gere did not get along with his co. And you know, could you expound on that? And he was—he just lit up because he was being asked about some
0: of Deborah Winger, wasn't
1: it? Deborah He was asking about some of his his greatest films, and he, he nobody else was asking him about them. Uh, another one I asked about was the Idol Maker, which I remember when it came out, they were actually showing a a new print of it. Um, I remember Ray Sharkey being uh, nominated for Best Supporting Actor. It was a big deal uh, that he had gotten this nomination, but and. And nobody, you know, asked any of those questions because it's, I guess, they either don't study it in their classes or they're just too young. I mean, and I'm old enough that I saw them when they came out. So th- that has worked to my advantage. You know, there are some things, as long as your memory doesn't go, you have <laughs> a little bit to pull on there. And that that's why I knew immediately that uh, A Quiet Place was going to go big. And I, my, my headline, a little bit of hyperbole on my weekly Wilson, I said, in Woods the the world, I thought, I, but I really thought they would.
0: But they have, really. That movie has been a number one film all across the world.
1: Knocked off Steven Spielberg's movie, uh, Ready Player One, and yeah. uh, I, I texted my teacher and friend, Dan Decker, that I'm sitting at... when he, Because Spielberg was in Austin and was on stage and introduced the film, and I am across town <laughs> because I had committed to being on the red carpet for Jim Gaffigan's film, and which is you can choose your family a little comedy a little small comedy directed by a woman and i enjoyed it a great deal but it's small and um uh, I texted him, I said, I am here getting ready to watch Jim Gaffigan in a movie. Meanwhile, across town at the Paramount, Seamus Spielberg is on stage introducing his new film, and he texted back, Are you out of your mind? <laughs> and I said, No, but I said I would be here, and I'm, you know, I'm gonna do what I said I'd do, and, and uh, I actually got a shout out from the director thanking me for the, the photos I took and the article I wrote. And it was it was kind of a fun film. Like, uh, the basic plot is that Jim Gaffigan has two fans Families, And his oldest son discovers that he's a bigamist and begins blackmailing Dad for things he wants. And it's kind of got some funny uh, things in it, I will say
0: so to go back to my original question you mentioned that was your most challenging book what was the, what book has been the most fun what books have been the most fun for you and why
1: well I like writing short better than long I call it writing short when I write for the newspaper when I do a review or when I write a short story and I write I like to write short better than long but by long I mean a novel I've written five one is not out yet uh, it may never come out because <laughs> I keep changing it and t- tinkering with it um Writing, you know, the 75,000 words you need for a full-length novel, I find very... Uh, boring and challenging at the same time I stick with it almost exclusively I once wrote during a blizzard where I didn't leave uh, the place you know at all just stayed inside for the entire time so I, I like to have it you know have a short story that I can write and be done with and move on but when I'm done with the novels I like them all I, I really think the color of evil would make a terrific series because there are so many subplots I think it would make a good streaming series I think it would make a good feature film series and that was the biggest decision that I faced when writing the script because the the experts that I was being helped by said to write a feature film Mm I think you should today be writing for Netflix, Amazon, you name it, because all the big talent's moving to television. It's another golden age of television. So we had an impasse, uh, sort of, and I straddled the line between doing what they wanted and what they said to do and what I wanted to do, which is make it marketable for, for today's market. So that was hard for me. Uh, least favorite, um, I didn't have much control over the ghost tales of Route 66 and I'm not a huge ghost believer so for that reason meh, you know, meh as I say. I, I would not have, it's not put out by me um, anything I put out Quad City Press I stand behind uh, and the, the books that were put out by a uh, fellow in Rhode Island and there were three uh, which is Hellfire and Damnation 1, Hellfire and Damnation 2 and the movie book I stand behind those as being really great reads if you're looking for that kind of thing. And then I have a very wholesome children's book series. There are six, uh, six of these, The Christmas Cats and Silly Hats. You can look it up at thexmascats.com. And um, I think this is the last year because I said I would quit when my granddaughters hit 10. And they will hit 10 in January. So I don't know whether there's going to... After we went through cats, rats, bats, and gnats, I decided to take control and steer it away from rhyming animals. But the, the premise is that the cats help animals in distress, and they always are doing good stuff. And the book we're promoting is an anti-bullying uh, thing. It's called The Christmas Cat's Care for the Bear. And there's also one, uh, The Christmas Cat's Fear for the Deer, which is do not go into Scott County Park with a bow and arrow and shoot a deer. That was basically... <laughs> (laughs) That was basically my message. Uh, And so we had a cat copter, and we took them to the North Pole, and they're fitted with artificial antlers, and and the artist works for Hallmark. He's terrific. So I've enjoyed doing them with my uh, young twin granddaughters who were allowed to suggest the animals for the first four books. But the last couple, I had to pull rank. I, I couldn't do any more rhyming animals after that. They rhyme. They're like Dr. Seuss books. So they're cool books, and they'd only take like 10 minutes to read start to manage.
0: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that in regard to publishers. That's why I started just doing my own stuff. It's because I had when I first started out, I had other people publish my work and I was not happy with the results. I never and I, I tell people that all the time is I mean, even when if you sign to anything other than a big publisher, you're on an indie publisher. Now some indie publishers are good. I've had two bad I had two bad experiences starting out my career where I didn't like the covers that they put on and And again, that's something I tell people where publisher is in charge you get to you get a say depending on the publisher but sometimes you don't even get a say sometimes they just put the cover on the book and they do the design and they you get the book and it's a surprise to you just like anybody else and then sometimes sometimes you'll get royalty statements and other times you will get no royalties and they'll say oh well this didn't sell or didn't cover your advance or whatever if you even get an advance and so you end up not making a whole lot of money and you end up doing a lot of the promotion for the book and all of the promotion for the book and so that's why I started just, you know, doing it myself is because I can have full control of all my graphic, de- and I can do all my graphic design. I have full control of how the book looks, how the book is marketed and then I end up making you know, all of the profits in regard to it because I don't have to share them with another publisher. And so, you know, I always recommend that, that to people. Um, on another tack, um, going off and onto another subject, you've met a lot of celebrities. You've met a lot of famous people and such. Who are some of the ones that have stood out in your mind, either good or bad, in regard to their behavior and the way that they have interacted with you and others that you've seen?
1: I have met a lot of famous people, and of course I'm in awe of Colin Farrell being there, but you can't understand Colin, because when he talks in his normal Irish accent, you have no idea what he's just said, so you just smile, you know, dippily, and kind of go, you know, Ryan Gosling, Ryan Reynolds, Jake Gyllenhaal, you know it's it, those guys you can understand uh, Al Pacino in one uh, film festival, but I, as far as who stands out uh, Ed Burns, who is a, probably considered not as big a star was one of the very nicest people, as is Guillermo Del Toro, the director um, I was very surprised and I can say this because this gentleman has passed on to his great reward I took a, a book, uh, the movie book, and I plan to gift it to Dennis Farino, who was the uh, former cop, white haired guy that played in lots of movies, and, and he was a Chicago native. Yeah, sure. And he was uh, starring in the opening night film. And for some reason, I thought he would be really a sweetheart. I, his his sidekick, or uh, supporting actor, I guess would be the better term, was Gary Cole, whom we uh, have seen in so many, many, many films. You know, he was in office space and with which I loved, and he also had a continuing role on um, uh, The Good Wife. Um, and he was he was the nice one. He was really a sweetheart, but Farino was not. And <laughs> since he's not alive to take offense, I guess I can say his name. There was another cast member from The Good Wife, not Gary Cole, who was not very nice. And um, I would not really look forward to seeing him again on a red carpet. But most of them are really, really nice. I mean, all the uh, director types, Damien Chazelle, was just, as, just an, as normal and sweet a guy as you could ever meet and talk to and you know if you show them any um, appreciation for their work uh, which is all I was trying to do with this book, it's not a book they're going to make a movie out of, it's a book of reviews from the what I consider the golden age of film, the 70 to 79, so I wasn't looking to make any money from this or that they would jump on this but I thought they might like it I, William Friedkin is in there three times wouldn't he like to see what I said it was all very good about the movies he he did during that period so most of them were really appreciative the um gentleman whose name escapes me who did a, the remake of invasion of the body snatchers gave him one he was very sweet and very nice i don't think he's working anymore and the one who, who has a special place in my heart haskell wexler haskell wexler is dead now and he was still filming in his 90s he was in the park filming the demonstrations against the WTC I saw him across the park and I recognized him immediately and I just dropped the mic that I was interviewing a veteran about his medals that he planned to give back and went streaking across the park and had my picture taken with the Haskell and he was so so nice and he was a Chicago native who lived there at the time And his granddaughter was holding the the handheld big camera, and he was shooting all this film because his film way back in the day he did one in the '60s that everybody just raved about because he filmed in the streets outside in 1968 outside the Hilton during the Democratic riots, the convention, and um, Medium Cool was the film that he directed and shot. And he's out there. There were no special.
0: I watched that in film school, actually.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was terrific. The only thing wrong with Medium Cool was the ending of it, but Haskell did that all himself. He was a terrific uh, cinematographer. I mean, he also did things like um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf? You know, he's many, many, many big films. He told interesting stories. So the next year when I went, I took this picture that I had taken, and I had it framed. It was the two of us. And I wrote a little note saying, thank you for so many wonderful films and memories, and and um, gave it to him in the audience, and and he died not very long after that. So, I'm glad I did that you don't get to say thanks to an icon very often and I have I've had very good luck with the you know the big names in the industry that you can think of and I, I think if you're if you're meeting Ryan Reynolds and Ryan Gosling is there anybody bigger than that that you can think of right
0: now what was Ryan Reynolds like
1: he was just exactly like he is in Deadpool <laughs> just exactly he's constantly and Jake was right in there with it they were constantly um, riffing and you know joking and he's very witty uh, he if if Johnny Carson were still on, he'd he'd come on and be the guest that used to be played by Burt Reynolds, you know, who would come on and be very witty. And I'm sure if he ever decides to do the circuit with Jimmy Fallon and the group, he will. He's very very witty and and quick, very quick. So I, I you know you enjoyed that. And I they also brought in the cast of some TV shows. This, that was interesting. The cast of This Is Us and the cast of um, I'm Dying Up Here, which is a Showtime thing. That was really fun because they are all comedians by well most of them Clark Duke is not it was not a comedian he's an actor before him but a lot of them were regular comedians before they got the role and so they were just hilarious and then they brought in um, the Muppets the, the people that ran the Muppets and they told some really funny stories about how what they had to do to get certain uh, effects so it, it gets fun and then there are conference of things I I met and and a copy of, in this case, my fiction to Jason Bloomhouse, who runs Bloomhouse Films, and to the fellow who yeah, did yeah, the Saw franchise, I, whose name I have forgotten. I think he was Australian. Um, but I thought, well, I'm here, and I'd like to say thanks. And you know, here, here's a have a semi-horror book, and they were very, very, very nice and appreciative, and said thank you. And I didn't see them throwing it out on their way out of the room or anything. Uh, with Beck and Woods, as we shall call them, since. I just took an assortment and after the interview I laid them out on the table I said you guys, you know, thank you for your time you can take anything you want you know, if you'd like one and um, I get them mixed up but I think it's Brian that is the red-headed one and he instantly seized upon the movie book he said, can I have this? because it, it had a lot of, you know it, He was. we talked about Vertigo for about 20 minutes so we really were talking about what we should have been and uh, the other uh, young man uh, from Batendo he took the very first Hellfire and Damnation collection of short stories because he asked me to pick one and I said well this is the biggest one I don't like the cover as well as the covers of 2 and 3 because I hired the world's best cover guy for that and the first one is done by the publisher he's an artist and he did it, it's not a bad cover, it shows an Amish man, it's okay but it had more stories in it and I guess maybe he was looking for them they they're got two films in the can and are doing a Haunt and another one about ghosts, I think, and they're busy, very busy. Uh, they're going to be teaching at the Austin Film Festival that is primarily a writer's deal. Uh, I believe that's October 25th that starts, and I, th- I think I will be there because I I was too intimidated to enter my, my little screenplay. I didn't enter it in their uh, screenplay competition because I didn't think I'd be good enough. I thought, you know, I've only done one, and it was 11 years ago. I, ha- I had no expectation of success. I just thought, I would learn by doing, you know, sort of like I learned how to interview by doing. i as well give it a shot. What the hey?
0: <laughs> right. Um, so, what are you working on right now? What do you have uh, in the future? What do you have planned?
1: I've been asked by the uh, those who like the Color of Evil series have been really hot for me to do a fourth book and I started one and I have over half of it done probably by some people's standards it's all done but I sort of drifted away from my my main protagonist was Tad McGreevy who sees auras around people and he tells he can tell from your aura if you're naughty or nice as as Santa would say
0: now did you even realize that Todd McGreevy is the publisher the reader, I, because I much mentioned that to you. I was like, is that supposed to be I'm like? Tad. I know you said Tad is the protagonist in this story. Todd is the publisher of the reader. Was that like totally coincidental, or was totally there any
1: coincidental? I probably had seen his name so many times, and I made it be Tad, and I, I and McGreevy is spelled differently than he spells his name, which I didn't know because I hadn't remembered it. I did that once before with a character, and the character was an unusual name in a short story, and she wrote me an email saying, did you mean for this to be, it was a good character so she wasn't angry, but uh, no, I did not uh, plan to model it on uh, the gentleman and it is spelled differently, and his first name is Tad, T-A-D, not Todd, but he he, uh,
0: I'm sure if you put out a book with a character named Shane Leary, it will be entirely coincidental, Connie
1: I will never put out another, (laughs) I will never have the letter S again because I got a lot of criticism for having two characters who are totally different. Stevie was Stevie Scranton. He's Tad's best friend. And Stewie Truitt, who is a uh, young fellow who has a very pronounced stutter. And I thought that would be enough to tell them apart, (laughs) since one of them is having some difficulty speaking in a normal uh, way, and the other one is not. But I had at least two um, people or contests or whatever comment that, oh, you shouldn't start, you shouldn't have names that are so much alike. I thought it was a typo, and I said, "How could you think it was a typo?" One of them is is basically stuttering every single line, uh, which is an affliction that is unfortunate. But I was it, it was not for fun. I mean, these things happen. My books deal with dark stuff. I just was reading about the rise of suicide. There is a attempted suicide. Fortunately, it goes awry in one of the books, and that's what caused Simon and Schuster to say, mm, "Yeah, we don't think so," because it was too dark for them. But uh, you know, if it happened. In real life, and recently, it's been happening more and more in real life. I think that the increase for teenage girls is up like seventy percent or something. It's just awful, and I thought somebody should write about it who had taught school for thirty-seven years, as I have done, and I so I did. You know, and and I don't apologize for having dark subject matter um, we all know what's happened it recently in recent history with uh, for instance uh... scandals in the catholic church need i say more um, I- I, if it happens in real life, it happens in my books. They're not going to. It's not going to sugarcoat them. It's not going to graphically describe them, but it's going to allude to them and, and hopefully deal with them in a positive way. So that's uh, a decision I can make. And yes, I agree with you. I do have an agent uh, in Chicago. I have had her sell one or two books, but she is, she would prefer to have nonfiction, and she mainly handles Jewish nonfiction. authors and uh, I have a two book series which is nonfiction about the Obama campaign and that was one of the most fun ones to write because I was writing for Yahoo and I was inside in uh, 2008 both in Denver and in St. Paul and also at the Libertarian Convention which was a real trip so as far as you asked earlier about fun books to write well that was a fun one to write because I was just you know observing history and falling down the hill outside in Vesco Stadium and having a great old time. So I and that one is just filled with photos. I took so many great photos, and I I really think somebody should use it in a history class. And I, so I'm gonna maybe think about putting it up on Ingram Spark so that it can be ordered by bookstores who will not order from Amazon. In case you're a would-be author out there, you gotta go through Ingram Spark for that. I I would advise. And I do have a book or two on Ingram Spark. I'm going to have more as time goes on. I only have uh, my cat book series currently is making its way onto those shelves. And um, they're because first of all they'll do a hardcover, and Amazon doesn't do hardcovers. And if you have a child, you generally want a hardcover book that will survive (laughs) their attacks on it, especially if you're a librarian. So um, if you're thinking of writing a children's book, you might want to look at to Ingram Spark before you go immediately go with Amazon. That would be one word of advice. Just as a thought.
0: So, anything else we have not covered? Famous last words here, Connie. We're going to wrap things up. What would you like to plug? (laughs) You got any book signings coming up? Any new books that you got coming? Uh, Anything else you want to talk about?
1: We do have a new children's book, the probably final one. Uh, It's called The Christmas Cats Flee the Bee. The bee looks suspiciously like Donald Trump. And he, Donnie Drone, uh, does not like the queen bee. And he wants to take over the hive. And because he can't quite get it done, done on his own, he gets some help from some sort of disreputable sources, and he succeeds, and all hell breaks this.
0: This isn't some political or allegorical at all, Connie. I, my,
1: I read it to my nine-year-old granddaughters, and they both figured it out. So I am sure it'll be really popular in Texas, where I'll be spending the winter months.
0: Does it have a line, but her B-mails?
1: <laughs> uh, all I know is I've seen some of the pictures, and the artist is great. Gary McCluskey is a wonderful artist, and it's going to be good. If I'm going out, I'm going out with a bang.
0: Okay, play, uh, plug your website. What are the websites the people should go to to check out your stuff?
1: Uh, well, the main one, ConnieCWilson.com. You can cl- click on anything that interests you and go to it. But any of my series has their own dedicated website, which means there's one for The Color of Evil.com. There's one for Hellfire and Damnation The and there's one for The But if you went to ConnieCWilson.com, you could you could you know spin off from there if you want to read my Reviews and see my pictures of famous people that I'm uh, meeting at these things. Uh, my blog is weeklywilson.com. I'm supposed to write it weekly. I'm a little behind at the moment because I just drove back from Texas, so I've been off the I've been on the road and off the job, but I'll be back to it soon.
0: And of course, you can read your stuff on QuadCities.com as well. Connie Wilson, thank you so much. Um, have led a very interesting life, and this has been a very interesting conversation. Thank you so much for being our guest on QC Un.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Awesome. And thank you for listening to the number one podcast in the Quad Cities, QC Uncut. Uncut, unedited, uncensored conversation with local newsmakers hosted by me, Sean Leary. Um, Continue to tune in for more interesting, intriguing, fascinating, and entertaining conversation in the future. Thanks again for listening to QC Uncut. Our guest has been Connie Wilson. We hope you've enjoyed the time with us and hope you have a great day.